blessings of Ahura Mazda upon you all. You're listening to Zoroastrian Q&A, where if you've got Zoroastrian questions, well, we've got Zoroastrian answers. Thank you for listening. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Zoroastrian Q&A. Thank you for all those who sent messages inquiring how I've been doing. I've just been busy, typical academic life, of course, while also trying to live my own social life and everything like that. I'm sure many of you understand trying to have that work-life balance. But anyways, I've got an interesting episode for you today, and I'm actually doing this episode from the World Zoroastrian Congress here in uh, Manhattan in New York City in the United States, uh, where over a thousand Zoroastrians have gathered together for the weekend uh, for matters of community, you know, getting to know each other and everything like that, seeing old friends and family and the like, uh, and also discussing matters of theology, history, uh, the differences and similarities between all of our different communities, whether that's Parsis, Iranians, us uh, Western convert types, uh, historical communities, and more so. And uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, maybe in the next episode, I'll report do a full report on the uh, World's Arrestion Congress as well. Shout out to Fezana uh, for being one of the main organizers of this. The Federation of Zoroastrian Associations of North America has done a lot of great work for Zoroastrians, not just in North America, but around the world. And I'm happy to affiliate myself with them consistently. And also shout out to the World's Zoroastrian Organization, uh, who I've been working more and more with. Uh, they are truly representative of a fully inclusive a, a, a form of Zoroastrianism that doesn't abandon our history and traditions, but yet also uh, remembers that Zarathustra's message was truly universal. Uh, and I'm glad to work with them. Lately, I've been doing a series on festivals. And so if you're interested in our Zoroastrian festivals and holidays, definitely uh, check out their uh, website and their social media. Well, you'll see my postings usually show up either the day of a festival or maybe even a couple of days before or after. So this episode uh, will revolve around Kurdish Zoroastrianism. Uh, the question I get a lot lately, actually, because I am one of the scholars of uh, Kurdish Zoroastrianism around is... Uh, you know, Pablo, what's up with Kurdish Zoroastrianism? You know, has it always been there? Is this a new thing? What's it like? Who are the leaders? So on and so forth. Uh, so I thought I'd give you a little quick recap. I can't give you my full uh, master's dissertation on it, but at least I can try to fill in, uh, you know, the basic gaps that uh, will help you understand uh, what has been referred to in modern day as the third node of global Zoroastrianism. So stick around. And uh, let's get started. So in order to understand Kurdish Zoroastrianism, you kind of have to understand what is a Kurd, or at least how the Kurds see themselves and how they see their place in Zoroastrianism. So academically, we don't really know much about the origins of the Kurds, but uh, one of their possible origins, because uh, their origins are even debated in academically and amongst Kurds themselves, is that... Uh, they are the people of Karda near Lake Van in southwestern Turkey uh, because their presence was recorded there uh, by the Sumerians uh, around the year 3000 BCE. 
and uh, but the Kurds themselves, they don't particularly care that much about academic consensus or new discoveries relating to their origins. In fact, uh, the Kurds are very mythopoetic people. Uh, they firmly believe, uh, as is reflected uh, in the Kurdish anthem of Eir Rakib, um, that they are the Medes, the descendants of the Median people, you know, the people of Cyrus, basically. Uh, and that uh, even in Eir Rakib, it says uh, that the Kurds are the descendants of the Medes and Zayat. Cyraxes, which is actually the maternal great-grandfather of Cyrus the Great. So already we're starting to see this connection of them establishing themselves in the Persian world and with central figures to the history of Zoroastrianism. Uh, however, of course, uh, academics don't really know whether their claim is accurate or not, but that doesn't really matter much uh, in the way that the Kurds uh, view themselves. Now, the first major use of the term Kurd uh, was actually by the Sasanians, who mentioned them as ruling in northern Iraq, which is even to this day a traditional Kurdish homeland, and would refer to the sort of northwestern Iranic nomads uh, who basically were uh, huge trouble for the established sort of imperial authority uh, amongst the Sasanians. Today, the Kurds, of course, uh, are a vibrant people, most popularly known as the largest ethnic group uh, that has no homeland, no recognized political homeland. This is, of course, changing with the developments uh, in the autonomous region of northern Syria, known as Rojava, with the efforts there led by the Kurds to establish a democratic, confederalist, libertarian, socialist uh, system there that is friendly to all religions, including Zoroastrians. Um, and, of course, the growing autonomy of what is popularly known as Iraqi Kurdistan uh, under the Barzani clan's uh, honestly autocratic rule um where in these areas there's definitely hope for a kurdish state or at least some sort of kurdish supra state of some kind uh but still in regions like uh turkey and iran uh they are still generally oppressed and their languages and culture and even religion are suppressed as much as possible or even in turkey uh Kurds are maligned, and because Zoroastrianism is associated with them, uh, they uh, Zoroastrianism is maligned again. So it's a sort of to be a Kurdish Zoroastrian is almost like a double insult uh, to the, especially the standing Turkish government. So what's that mean in regards to Kurdish Zoroastrianism? Well, the Kurds view Zoroaster himself. I mean, many many Kurds actually firmly believe this, even non-Zoroastrian Kurds. Um, as having been a Kurd himself, and thus having belonged to the greatest civilization in human history, quote unquote, um, and that Zoroastrianism is not only the original religion of the Kurds, but in full sense that the greater Zoroastrian world owes its existence to the Kurds. Uh, and that, uh, you know, these include further claims that most Kurds are secretly. Uh, you know, this Kurdish Zoroastrian, but don't reveal themselves for fear of Muslim reprisal, and that the Avestan language used in Zoroastrian ritual and text is related to the Kurdish Havrami dialect, which is fairly interesting. And if we think about it this way, um, this, uh, this sort of ties them in a sort of ever-growing comradeship of sorts. Uh, the great philosopher Benjamin Anderson uh, 
had this idea of the imagined community and, uh, you know, which a group of people develop a binding social construction uh, with these sort of features so that no matter what may actually divide them, they have an image of their communion. So in that sense, when a Kurd identifies as a Kurdish Zoroastrian, they're not only tying other Kurds to Zoroastrianism, but they're tying the greater Zoroastrian worlds to the Kurds and thus an ever-growing image of communion, so to speak. Um, so Kurdish Zoroastrianism, however, um, the best way to describe it is that it is currently balkanized. Um, a historically... I mean, there are these claims that come out of Kurdistan, and I, uh, I have to say outright that I'm a huge supporter of uh, Kurdish freedom and self-determination, uh, and in particular of Abdullah Öcalan's democratic confederalist theories towards this regard. Um, but uh, so many claims have popped out of Kurdistan uh, stating that um, Zoroastrianism is ancient has always been practiced in secret and so and so and uh that uh Kurdish history and Zoroastrian history are the same and the Iranians claim Zoroastrian history and so do the Parsis uh for themselves and they do not say the actual truth now, this was something that was said to me by Kurdish Zoroastrians uh that are still uh living and practicing in Kurdish regions um so these are prevalent beliefs amongst that community there uh, that sort of the traditions have been stolen and developed by other Zoroastrians who don't acknowledge basically that they're their grandpa of sorts. Um, so they believe that Zoroaster was born in the town of Urmia uh, in northwestern Iran to a Magi family as early as 6500 BCE and spoke uh, Old Horami, which is today called the Vestan, which is the mother language of the Kurds, to, according to many Kurds. Uh, upon revelation from Ahura Maza, he then reformed the ancient religion of the Medes, which uh, many Kurds identify as Mithraism. Now, this is spread out of Kurdistan to where it's almost become popular, properly accepted, but not academically accepted, uh, where Mithraism was the original religion of the Kurds. Uh, this seems highly unlikely and uh it's very likely that uh, whatever was the original religion of the kurds probably took on a more assyrian tone uh than it did uh, a mithraic tone as we have no proof of a pre-existing mithraism before uh zoroaster zarathustra so uh you know there's this belief that as soon as there existed these uh you know, uh, the Islamic invasion and so forth, that uh, uh, Zoroastrianism went underground popularly. And this was further supported by uh, Kurdish uh, self-determination movements of the 20th century, uh, where uh, Yazidism became being viewed as a form of Zoroastrianism to such a popular point where even Yazidis themselves have now begun to declare themselves as being part of Zoroastrianism at points. Uh, some of the sheikhs have said that they are Zoroastrian. Uh, which has angered some other sheikhs as well, who say that, no, they are this, they are that. And so this is a case where popular opinion is beginning to shape the development of a completely unrelated uh, religion. Um, and, uh, the you know, the PKK, uh, through Abdullah Okalan himself, uh, he said that uh, Kurdish Zoroastrianism was morally and culturally superior to Islam, because most Kurds are actually Muslim. Uh, and even 
some Muslim Kurds began to agree. Uh, Sakin uh, Kanziz, uh, one of the co-founders of PKK, also said that uh, her grandmother kept Zoroastrianism alive for her and that their hearth fire traditions that were passed on to her as revealed in a 2015 documentary called Sarah, My Whole Life Was a Struggle. Uh, so in this sense, you know, you have Zoroastrianism as sort of preeminent uh, as the anti-Islam of sorts. Uh, whether that's true or not is, of course, uh, you know, debatable. Uh, Greco-Roman writers such as Origen and Pliny thought that uh, Zoroastrianism did have a Western Iranian origin, which would put it sort of in the Kurdish reasons. Um, and uh, but most scholars agree that that's not very likely. That it's very likely that Zarathustra's life, if you've listened to previous episodes, took most of the time in Central Asia, uh, closer to uh, you know Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, that sort of region. Um, but what we do have is a modern Kurdish rationalism. So Kurds can claim all they want uh, because we have little to no evidence, and I say this to, with pure love for all my Kurdish Zoroastrian listeners, there can be as many claims as you want about a pre-existing Kurdish Zoroastrianism that was stamped out or kept in secret, but we really have no proof of that whatsoever. Uh, what we do have proof of is the modern traditions, and uh, we'll uh, take a little uh, break here, go get yourself some water, a snack, something relaxed, because we'll jump in and I'll explain uh, the what I labeled uh, in my own research as the Reconstructionist Proto-Chronist New Religious Movement known as Kurdish Zoroastrianism. So yes, come on back. Hi, welcome back. Uh, I hope you had a nice and relaxing break and that you actually paused for a little bit so you could get yourself a sandwich or something. So before uh, the pause, I referred to modern Kurdish Zoroastrianism as a Reconstructionist, Proto-Chronist, New Religious Movement. So let's break that down. What's Reconstructionist mean? Well, Reconstructionism is a religious methodology for the purpose of rebuilding a lost spiritual tradition with the help of cultural folklore, scholarly research, archaeological discoveries, and the mythologized narratives uh, involving a fair amount of educated speculation. So this usually combines a desire to continue cultural practices and beliefs seen as applicable to the religion being reconstructed without seeking to just become reenactors like some sort of LARPers of a long forgotten past. So you mostly see this in uh, modern polytheist revivals, especially Europe, uh, sort of Druidry, Hellenism, heathenry, Zamoxianism, and so on and so forth. Um, and it, it does form whether... Kurdish can see it or not, a crucial element as to the meth methodology of how the religion has developed. So it can be called a Reconstructionist movement as it also places an emphasis on folklore and research, whether part of the academic consensus or not, uh, in its you know continuing attempt to try to develop a uniquely Kurdish expression of Zoroastrianism that stands on its own. Uh, you know, it 
Curtis Rashim is unmistakably an amalgamation of uh, Kurdish oral traditions, mythologized narratives, as I brought up earlier, established rituals and practices that have been transformed from a Kurdish setting, along with a combination of gumbo of sorts of scholarly research of both academic and amateur natures, and an outspoken desire to reconstruct a spiritual practice that exists in the popular Kurdish imagination. Remember, to many Kurds, Kurdish rationalism has always existed, whether or not it's been open as it is now. Even if Kurdish rationalism were truly a reconstructionist tradition in that it was not a continual one, Kurds would still believe that this is just a reemergence of what has always been there. It matters very little to them whether this reconstructionist view is as acceptable or not to non-Kurdish Zoroastrians. To them, other Zoroastrians are still Zoroastrian, but of a different form, not fully relatable to Kurdish Zoroastrianism. So in the words of uh, a Zoroastrian uh, I interviewed from Kurdistan, um, they said that Zoroastrians live in two worlds, two completely different worlds, in his own words. I am Kurdish, and they are something else. So you have to understand how that's sort of wrapped up in sort of like Kurdish narratives and why that sort of builds on this reconstructionism. So, uh, however, it, it's it would be ridiculous to just say that they're just another reconstructionist tradition and move on. They're also protochronist uh, because they don't rely solely on an appeal to authenticity and historical development, but rather strongly maintain a mythologized narrative and idealized image of Kurdish history at its core. So I call this proto-chronist because uh, this is a Romanian concept uh, that was developed by the scholar Boya, uh, where uh, Romanians believed that uh, they were descendants of the great Dacians and lived out almost this like pageantry of this Dacian past. Uh, and so prochronism is in which uh, is where a heavily idealized and mythologized narrative of history is attached to a people and country through subjective research and interpretations. It's although typified, to be honest, by a desire to ascribe ascendancy of a claimed ancestral culture over all others. You know, Kurds are central. I'm a Kurd. You are something else. Uh, you know, Romanians are central. I'm Romanian. You're something else, etc. So on. Um, and, and so therefore, it places this culture on a level beyond its contemporaries for all history. Um, and so the Kurds do this with their median heritage by claiming not just attachment to Cyrus the Great, but also to all of Zoroastrianism in this sense. Um, basically, uh, this protochronism can be seen in statements not just unique to Kurdish Zoroastrianism, but to Zoroastrianism in general, such as the idea of it being the first religion to worship one god, which is major in Kurdish Zoroastrianism and in Zoroastrianism in general ever since the 1800s. Um, of course, this is debated by scholars um, all over the place, uh, uh, including yours truly. I believe that Zoroastrianism is the oldest continuously practiced religion in the world. I do not particularly think that it's the oldest monotheism, um, but Kurdish Zoroastrianism definitely does. And that's because it's tied up to its history. Uh, if monotheism reigns today, then of course the Kurds were always right about it to begin with, and therefore need not be challenged about their revival. And it's definitely a new religious movement, um, 
because almost all Kurdish Iraqis claim themselves as converts, mostly from Islam, with very few and rare, unverifiable exceptions that claim that they were raised as Iraqis in secret. Again, we, we have no proof, not even their parents can confirm such information. Um, so undeniably, it must be recognized as a new religious movement, uh, which, uh, you know, in short, is an RNRM. For those of you who don't know, a new religious movement is basically any religious movement, tradition, etc., that was developed uh, in the past 200 years. Some scholars are more narrow and say post-World War II. Uh, I tend to go with 200 years, really. And... Um, you know, they act as a sort of critique of modernity, capitalism, and materialism, while also being part and parcel of modernity, capitalism, and materialism. Uh, you know, these fit Kurdish rationalism quite well, actually, uh, because it is tradition no, no more honestly than a couple of decades old at this point. Uh, at most, divorced from the wider Zoroastrian context as well, and reacting against Islam and the circumstances of current Kurdish sociopolitical concerns. Um, and you know, they are almost all first generation adherents, um, you know, in which a community of converts, especially first generation, tend to be more zealous uh, than those who were raised in it. I can attest to this. I see definitely converts, not just in Zoroastrianism, but in other traditions who pick up the mantle in which where people were raised in it um, don't really care all that much. It's very fascinating development for sure. Um, and you can see this also uh, in that NRMs tend to be prone to exaggerating their membership numbers. Kurdish Rashians, you ask them, they give you three different answers as to how many Kurdish Rashians there are. Um, either there's tens of hundreds of thousands, uh, there's only a hundred, there's only 14, there's uh, a million, there's every single Kurd hidden in the mountains is a Zoroastrian. And also with the uh, claims of a continued and hidden tradition, we still, I must reiterate, have no evidence that any of this is real in that sense. So where does that leave Kurdish Zoroastrianism? Well, definitively as Reconstructionist, Protochronist, and absolutely uh, a new religious movement. Uh, it's balkanized, as I said earlier, into various different organizations, uh, all vying for power and control of the Kurdish Zoroastrian community in various ways. One of the main leaders of this uh, calls herself online, Awat Darya. She is associated as the leader of the Yazan organization, basically appointed by the Kurdish Barzani clan uh, autocracy in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. I don't say this negatively. This is just objective, factual truth. Uh, and the facts that I will continue to say are also backed up by a great amount of research, not just by yours truly, but other scholars whose research is readily available. Um, the Yasna organization um, uh, is very much tied to the Barzani clan and government and therefore continuously threatens uh, Zoroastrian organizations and leaders in Kurdistan that don't align to basically the party line with uh, exile shame, arrest, and even uh, harm at some points from what I've heard and have been reported by even neutral human watch organizations, human rights watch organizations. Um, and uh, so this leaves some folks uh, exiled to form Kurdish communities all over the world. Uh, they're 
uh, in the United States, in Rojava, where the Yasna organization has not been able to establish a foothold due to vastly differing politics, of course. Uh, in the UK, which has was formed by basically exiles, by uh, people forced out by the Yasna organization and the Barzani government. And so basically there's this whole almost cold civil war in an attempt to control Kurdish rationalism in the area. But what do these Kurdish rationalists believe that they're you know, they definitely must believe something strong to be fighting so hard over it, especially considering it's a fairly small new religious movement, despite being so central to the Kurdish imagination. Well, Kurdish Russians are fully monotheistic in the worship of Ahura Mazda, which they consider the one and only god. And they heavily center on the concept of Volhumana, which they translate as good thoughts. Uh, Kurdish rationalism is proclaimed as a religion of thought and philosophy uh, and not lacking in scientific truthness. Now, vastly different Kurdish Russians all said this to me. So it's prevalent beliefs. Uh, and all these Russians tend to believe that they're seeking to renew the world in some form or another through the revival of Russianism. It's taught in Kurdish Russianism that nothing is forbidden by the religion at as in nothing at all, thus making it an antinomian faith where followers actually feel freer than they were in their previous religious adherence. Remember, we said most of them were Muslims, so of course they would go to the completely opposite direction when you have strict uh, you know, guidelines in your religious observance. Perhaps the next thing you want is the belief that uh, God doesn't require absolutely anything of you or the gods or what have you. Um, they all call themselves Badin, which they translate as religious, and uh, believe that being Kurdish and Zoroastrian is an inseparable concept. And attempts to drive a wedge between the two would lead to a slow and painful death for both. No joke, it was said multiple times as well. Uh, there's this distinct sense of the sacredness of Kurdish identity, Kurdish lands, the mountains, and so forth like that, uh, which they believe uh, to be gifts to humanity. Um, and that the curse themselves are gifts to humanity in this sort of proto-chronist, we're centering ourselves over one sort of concept. The Kurdish Russians maintain the classic ethos of good thoughts, good words, good deeds, which are held as a credo that everybody must follow and declare that fire, water, earth, animals, nature, and air are holy and worthy of respect. Uh, good thoughts, good words, and good deeds is also developed into a protective and meditative mantra used by Kurdish Russians throughout their day, sometimes even as the only prayer that Kurdish Russians even know. In all the interviews I conducted, uh, there's this continual mention of 11 Zoroastrian principles, but there seems a strong trepidation with providing outsiders with the principles and details. Uh, they believe that only Kurdish Zoroastrians should know these and be able to develop them themselves. A strong emphasis is consistently placed on Kurdish Zoroastrians' ability to liberate the mind, which is usually a liberation from precepts and attitude associated with Islam and local conservative cultural mores. Uh, Kurdish rations also have uh, what can be honestly a perennialist and somewhat universalist view of religion, citing an unsourced statement of Zoroaster, which is unlikely that Zathusha ever said anything like this, um, which says that there are many ways to worship God as there are people on this planet, and as such make mention of respecting all religions, including atheists. Uh, they consider Wednesday to be a holy day. Uh, though no reason was ever given by any Kurdish Russian I spoke to as to why. And they are asked to gather at their local temple for rituals and prayers that occur at dawn and at 
dusk on Wednesdays. Major holidays and festivals, such usually Persian and Kurdish in nature, such as Yalda, Noruz, and Tirgan, which is actually tomorrow by the time of this recording, so happy Tirgan, uh, and others are viewed as also being particularly holy days. Uh, Zoroastrians use both the Awesta, as it's pronounced in Kurdish, sans the Vendadad, because they consider it to not be important, holy, and to be actually an Iranic, um, how to call it, degradation of the faith. Uh, and they try to combine these with the local Kurdish dialect uh, to create this unique mix of a vest in Kurdish rituals and prayer. Uh, all prayers and worship are said to be done not out of fear or to gain access to the afterlife, and that a good soul never asks for anything from God, as all blessings from Ahura Mazda are gifts. Uh, worship is usually conducted before a fire in the room, decorated by many lit lanterns and cellophane flames, representing the light of Ahura Mazda, combined with an accompaniment of traditional Kurdish instruments such as the daf. Uh, Kurdish Russians also adhere to a ritual garment practice called Sadra and Kashi, not that dissimilar from Sudra and Kusti, where the Sadra is uh, worn in a similar fashion as uh, Zoroastrians do globally, but uh, the Kashi, uh, which replaces the Kushti, is instead now a culturally traditional three-knot Kurdish belt, in which the three knots are interpreted to represent good thoughts, good words, and good deeds. Initiation ceremonies into Kurdish Zoroastrianism are also noted to take place traditionally around the age of 12, as opposed to the traditionally younger age in global Zoroastrianism, especially amongst the Parsi community, at around 7. However, adult initiations are the most common and are viewed as a rebirthing of sorts, very reminiscent to the sort of being reborn in modern evangelical Christianity. The initiative is asked to repeat an oath to accompany music to save the environment, protect all animals, and remain careful of their actions. And apricots are served to those present uh, from silver trays in a ceremony that lasts 15 minutes at most, which makes it actually shorter than most initiation ceremonies in Zoroastrianism. Kurdish Zoroastrians wear the Fravahar around their necks as one of the main identifiers in Kurdish society um, and uh, treat it as a, a exclusive symbol for Kurdish Zoroastrians. It's not uncommon to see proclamations of Kurdish Zoroastrianism being one of the strong, gen being of a strong notion of gender equality and freedom. Uh, that proclaims respect for women and opposes all forms of slavery. Kurdish Zoroastrianism also embraces democracy, free speech, and capitalism, accompanied by claims that Kurdish Zoroastrians have always been defenders and champions of these positions. See, this is why they can't make an inroad into Varzava, which is more socialist-leaning, and the Barzani clan is very ultra-capitalist, uh, further tying them to the political claims of the region in which they develop, which is basically around the city of Suleimania in Kurdish Iraq. Uh, the, uh, though they do approve of such things as premarital uh, marital cohabitation, believing they are following Zarastra's tradition of allowing his own daughter to do so, which is an interesting interpretation there, and that women should choose their own spouses and be able to initiate divorce, which stands in contrary to a lot of the Islamic practice that they came from before. They mostly have their own pilgrimage sites, which is mostly pre-Islamic ruins that they find all over the place. One of the most famous is the median burial sites of uh, Kizkapan, which is thought to be the tomb of Zyraxes and a Zoroastrian temple, which we're still not sure if that's accurate or not, to be honest. Um, and it's used by local Zoroastrian organizations mostly as a way to do ritual and the like. 
Um, speaking of ritual, uh, how about we take a very short break here and uh, come back and I'll tell you uh, a little bit more on ritual and practices. And uh, then we'll close it off there. And uh, that'll be the end of the episode. So yes, uh, take a little quick breather and we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. Well, that break was a little bit more for me than it was for all of you. I just needed some water and a little bit of a refresher before it continued. So this is part of the thing that will get me a little bit into trouble because uh, I'm about to talk about the Yasna organization's use of ritual as theater more than worship. So, as I mentioned, Yasna organization edited by Awadarya. She's no popular line, but actually her real name is uh, Awad Husamadin Tayyib. And uh, she's the official representative for Kurdish Iraqism in the Kurdish regional government of Iraqi Kurdistan. And so the Yasna organization, as I mentioned, um, tends to try to play its hand hard against other Zoroastrian groups and even independent Zoroastrians in uh, the Kurdish region. Uh, they are the most prominent, very well known in the international community, and they have spread so much that uh, they are found actually um, attending uh, events such as the World uh, Zoroastrian Congress. Um, now, What's interesting is that uh, while they tend to develop this sort of, uh, how should I say, um, image of official Zoroastrianism, um, whenever they are prone to, let me phrase it this way, they're prone to conduct events, rituals, festivals, and so forth, where they position themselves at the leaders, uh, pushing aside whoever the actual organizers were, and um, promoting, uh, you know, Barzani ideology, uh, Awadarya herself, or even further, um, actually promoting Kurdish Zoroastrianism, but in a strange roundabout way. Uh, Edith Zanto, a great uh, academic of Kurdish Zoroastrianism, reported seeing um, rituals in which uh, marriage ceremonies or even rituals were done with a fake Avesta, where a sort of like book jacket was placed on a completely different book, an empty book or what have you. Uh, people would go along on fully rehearsed movements and rituals and songs. And when asked what they were about, I would say that they knew nothing about it, that they were just practicing from a script or proclaiming from a script. Uh, and sometimes they would even hire people to show up and play the parts of, say, people getting married as Russians or doing other such matters. I mean, we have recorded instances of the Yasna organization doing such things over and over and over and over. And that's not to say that they're the only ones doing this sort of uh, faux ritual. Um, other other groups are known for doing this amongst Kurdish Russianism. But there are many, many, many more groups, especially those in exile, who take it quite seriously and try to align themselves to having uh, real worship services, believe in sort of the metaphysical, spiritual nature of Zoroastrianism and more so, and uh, have tried to integrate themselves into uh, North American uh, 
uh, or European or other forms of exile uh, Zoroastrianism uh, sort of around the diaspora. Now, with that, then, you know, uh, the rituals, as I mentioned earlier, involve fire, cursed dancing, singing, and so forth. And I only wanted to mention sort of the faux ritualism in case for anyone who travels over to Kurdistan and sees uh, this firsthand. Uh, and wonders, well, what, what the hell is happening? Uh, now you know. Um, basically, uh, this sort of reflects a sort of insular nature of Kurdish Zoroastrianism. Uh, they don't expect the world to know about them because, n according to themselves, they are isolated and no one has helped them. And though they constantly declaim against the global Zoroastrian community, they express a confusion as to the distance of their perceived basically brethren and they desire to further connect uh with them uh per Luckman, a uh a major kurdish Zoroastrian leader uh, basically in exile uh, claims to have studied in a french Zoroastrian seminary despite also declaring that the non-kurdish Zoroastrians uh did not influence him at all uh aswaran kurdak a uh uh peer in the area or mobed as we would know him uh equivalent in Kurdish Zoroastrianism, um, associated with the Yasin organization, expressed a desire while being interviewed to study the religion and its philosophies further and train under actual Mobes, uh, and, and noting in particular India, very traditionalist area, and California, the exact opposite, a very liberal area in regards to uh, Zoroastrian theology, as the two places he would only want to train in. Uh, and it, it's it's very fascinating. Um, it, Kurdish Zoroastrians uh, tend to not view themselves as receiving any sort of assistance from the global Zoroastrian community. But when I mentioned this at the World Zoroastrian Youth Conference in 2019, Homi Gandhi, uh, the head of the Federation of Zoroastrian Associations of North America, Fazana, uh, he stood up and he said that uh, they had indeed provided much aid and that wasn't just you know moral support inviting them to speak but also material form through literature monetary aid infrastructure development and more so and that there's i mean there's a multitude of photos and videos online of figures like ali jafare the founder of the controversial zarathustra assembly uh which is actually very influential uh they view ali jafare as basically their how, how best to say it, uh, if Zarathustra wasn't the prophet, it would be Ali Jafari in many ways. Um, uh, so there have been uh, not just these positive responses from, say, especially Zoroastrians in uh, the diaspora, there's also been negative responses. Uh, Palani Kapora, uh, upon discussions that there would be possibly be Zoroastrians in Kurdistan stated that if some insist on believing that there are Zoroastrians in the Kurdish nation, they're welcome to live in the dream world. So you see already there the traditionalist view that there, these are no way real Zoroastrians. It's been typical to have been expected of online traditionalist discord, though, for those of us familiar with it. Um, and it, it's fascinating because uh, from what I noticed from my own talk at the World Zoroastrian Youth Congress, uh, especially my generation younger, is thirsty for knowledge, and in particular, thirsty to learn about this third node of global Zoroastrianism in a poor community that sort of 
has been kept in the dark. And, uh, you know, whether it is just a response to Islam and Kurdish nationalism, if it's just an interplay of politics, if they're having a cold civil war, what have you, in reality, Kurdish nationalism stands at the precipice of history. Would another decade soon to look forward to, uh, which we're in now, basically, and a growing acceptance both in Kurdistan and the global Zoroastrian community. At this World Zoroastrian Congress, once again, we have uh, Kurdish Zoroastrian representatives officially giving talks. We have scholars of Kurdish Zoroastrianism here, and uh, including yours truly. And uh, we also have uh, Hawadaria and other types here as well, not just to represent, but also to challenge each other which is absolutely fascinating. I hope seriously, honestly, that uh, my talk uh, in, at the World's Arresting Youth Congress, my dissertation, which hopefully will be published sometime soon if I stop being lazy and actually get around to properly editing it and submitting it to journals. Uh, and also this podcast episode, uh, I hope seriously that they've sort of pulled back the curtain, so to speak, and enlightened of you on uh, Kurdish rationalism, it's many fascinating aspects. Only time will truly tell as to how Kurdish rationalism will continue to adapt and develop in its future, but for now, we can say with certainty that it has cemented itself in both not just the Kurdish global identity, but also the global Zoroastrian imagination in both positive and negative lights. And Previously, I have mentioned Rojava as a huge supporter of the experiment happening there right now, uh, which has gone on strong for more than a decade. A tall statue of Zarathustra used to stand in the city center of, of now Turkish-occupied Afrin, uh, which the Turks made sure uh, to blow up and destroy first before anything else in Afrin, which is very interesting. Um, so, as you see, Kurdish rationalism is still in the forefront of international politics, and I'm pretty sure it will continue to do so in the region as the movement grows. We'll also see, no doubt, an influence of other forms of Zoroastrianism on Kurdish rationalism and thinkers from outside and inside Kurdistan, uh, not just influence Kurdish rationalism, but also influencing the global Zoroastrian community and its imagination of its own place in its own protochronist and revivalist histories. Um, so yes, thank you very much for listening. Uh, and uh, now we'll close off with uh, a little reminder. So yeah, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Zoroastrian Q&A. I hope that one helped enlighten you about the third note of Zoroastrianism, as uh, many have taken to call it. So before we go, I wanted to remind you all that uh, my translation of the Gathas, which has been labeled a modern translation of ancient wisdom, uh, will be coming out uh, around October 1st. It's currently available for pre-order on almost every global Amazon website. And if you don't like Amazon, I think uh, you can find it on Barnes and Nobles and a few other websites like Book Depository or what have you, I think. Um, but just search for the Sacred Gathas of Zarathustra and the Old Avestan Canon. Uh, it's by me, Pablo Vasquez. And uh, for those of you who are unaware, uh, with some, it's already been receiving uh, great recommendations and reviews uh, from folks. Uh, the person who wrote uh, my foreword in it 
uh, Zerbano Gifford is actually here at the World's Arrest from Congress, and uh, it, uh, it was a pleasure to communicate with her and for her to write that intro. Uh, one of the great reviews that I want to mention that actually shows up on the back cover of the book, which I'm pretty sure you all will love aesthetically, it looks amazing, um, you know, was from Dr. Michael Mohammed Knight, a scholar I've greatly admired. Uh, he studies within his own religion of Islam, but he's provided many unique and interesting insights into his own faith, which I hope I have been doing and will continue to do as well. He says that uh, the sacred Gathas of Zarathustra and the Old Avestan canon are a critical resource for students and scholars of the Zoroastrian tradition, faithful and beautiful, rigorous while remaining accessible, a profound achievement and contribution to the field. Uh, Michael, you know, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, it's wonderful. I've learned so much from you, and I'm glad that you think so uh, about my upcoming translation. So, yes, pre-order that now. Get a copy for yourself. Get a copy for your friends. Get a copy for your local Dharamere. Get, you know, get a copy for your reading group. Uh, you know, we've got many holidays coming up. Zoroastrians have a holiday almost every month. So let's get on this and uh, get some pre-orders out. And I'd love to hear your thoughts when it does come out on what you all think about it. Uh, so yes, and if you see me at any event, or want to reach out to me to get it signed, or just have questions about why I translated certain lines uh, versus certain ways, reach out. More than happy uh, to talk with uh, listeners of the podcast. Uh, I also want to give a shout out before we go. Um, I'm going to include a link in the podcast description. Uh, for those of you who use Discord, um, I want you all to definitely go and check out what is probably, uh, in my opinion, the best Zoroastrian Discord out there. Uh, it is called Modern Mazda Yasna and uh it's awesome i'll put the join link in there uh if you don't use discord don't worry about it <laughs> but uh, if you do definitely check it out join talk with others rations uh the server's a little bit uh you know dead right now but that's simply just because it's just starting so come on in pump in some activity ask your questions meet others rations around the world it's uh it's an awesome place so yes thank you for once again listening to Zoroastrian Q&A, where if you have Zoroastrian questions, well, my friends, we have Zoroastrian answers. May Ahura Mazda bless you all. Goodbye. <laughs>